What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 77 of Dart Against Humanity. So I was racking my brain trying to figure out what this episode should be about today when it hit me that the subject should just be about something near and dear to my heart that I could talk about for 45 minutes to an hour nonstop. And that is easily basketball. So I grew up in basketball crazy Boston in the South End Lower Roxbury neighborhood. Roxbury is home to several neighborhoods that produced the best basketball players in Boston and Massachusetts history. Uh, within the neighborhood of Roxbury, out there in Roxbury, because Boston's a small city, but it's a city of side streets and it's seems spacious. If you're from New York or Chicago or somewhere where there's just a whole lot of landmass, it doesn't seem a far like that far away. But walking, it's like another universe. Even while being in Lower Roxbury, you have Lower Roxbury South End, then you have Roxbury. Roxbury's near uh you got sections of Dorchester and then Jamaica Plain where they meet. So it seems to spread out, even though it isn't like I can walk to Roxbury and in and out of Roxbury, but I can't necessarily walk into parts of Dorchester, but I could easily drive there and it'd be quick. But I don't drive. That being the case. In cities, things are different, you know, and in Boston, where we have at one point 21, I think it's now between 23 and 24 different neighborhoods. Every neighborhood seems like a separate universe or kingdom onto itself. But within basketball, it makes it and Boston is super territorial, extremely territorial. So if you think about something like basketball, where this whole city is crazy about. There's a sense of pride that comes with it and how people play the game and how they hold it close. But in Roxbury, Mission Hill is the equivalent of Queensbridge houses in Queens, New York, to how many great basketball players have been produced. Like, if you were to say, all right, um, give me a list of the best players in Boston to go against the best players for this era in New York or versus California or versus Chicago or versus Texas or versus Philadelphia versus New Jersey. I could easily just pull up a team full of nothing but guys who were from Mission, Mission Hill. That's how crazy it is. But that being the case, uh, growing up in Boston, you couldn't avoid basketball. If you were a brown kid who grew up in my neighborhood, everybody was basketball crazy. I mean, coming up, I was born in 1975, so, you know, the normal things everybody was into were uh, cartoons, comic books, kung fu and martial arts films, because sometimes it was kung fu, sometimes it was karate, I, uh, you know, didn't really care, or samurai films or what have you. And... The other thing being sports, sports, especially basketball, basketball or football or baseball. Baseball was a completely different thing because you needed certain equipment. You need to go to the field. You need to find all these different things in order to play baseball. Needed gloves. A bat would be helpful. 
know, a diamond would be especially helpful. You needed all these things just to play sandlot baseball. You need a certain amount of players. Now, for kids playing street football, we just needed a patch of grass and one ball. And one kid in the neighborhood had a football. So you could have a hell of kids and play football with one ball. Same thing with basketball. Difference is we had courts to play on. Plenty of courts to play on. Plenty of older people to teach you the game. And plenty of um, places to catch on to the game. Watching TV, listening to people play. Watching them play. Seeing their style. The things that they um, value in the game. You know, what, what you should focus on. Things like that. So I fell in love with basketball at a very early age. Also, it had a lot to do with the fact I was tall. I was tall for my age. And when you're a tall kid for your age, you kind of get pushed into basketball. I started watching basketball on TV. I My earliest memories of watching basketball on TV is like 1977, watching the Celtics who weren't that good. I remember the game's on, but the sound's turned down, the radio's on. Dun, 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 the Boston Celtics. I think it was on WBZ. And... um. Johnny Most, and here's the boy. He's 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 filling Dylan. Uh, didn't the sort of blow? So they take the ball in the deuce. the sort of ball. No, but I hear this gravelly ass voice. He's talking about JoJo. JoJo. He gets the ball at the top of the key. He fiddles and diddles, daddles and doodles. <laughs> uh, throws it in. And I'm just like listening to the radio while I'm watching the TV, and. It's this weird Boston culture where we're going to listen to Johnny Most do the play-by-play. We don't want to hear what the hell the dude on TV is saying because that's our guy. And back then, the Celtics just weren't that good. They had names on the team. You had Charlie Scott. You know, you had JoJo White. I believe Um, you just had names. Hondo. Uh. But the team just wasn't good. You had Curtis Wicks. You had, I mean, you had Wicks. You had Rowe. But the team just wasn't that good. You know what I'm saying? Um, Big Red. But the team just sucked. And I remember the season where they fired Tommy Heinsohn and replaced him with a black dude who was a former Celtic, Sat Sanders. Seth Sanders had a, uh, he finished out the season, had a better record, got more out of him. I think he finished 21 and 27 at the, uh, the last 48 games of the season. So they played way better because they just weren't playing under, um, Tommy Heinsohn anymore. And I remember that season, but I also remember going out to different courts. Now I lived in, I lived on Mass Ave and the court we would all be sent to was this court called um, Carter Playground. Carter Playground was named after a, a black war veteran, which was something that you didn't see in too many cities. So we would go to that court. And this court was famous because Martin Luther King Jr. used to play pickup games versus people on this court when he lived in Boston. He lived down the street from me on Mass Ave at one point. So we would go to that court 
and I would watch people play or I would like try to shoot or whatever. And the thing is that like people would try to give the little kid a shot, but because they're like, oh, we're going to watch this little weak kid shoot the ball and it's not going to make it to the rim or it's going to go somewhere else. It's going to fall short and then we're going to make fun of them. They would give me the ball and I'd hit the shot. And they'd be like, wait, what? Wait, try that again. They give me the ball and I'd hit the shot. And they'd be like, and shot because again, basketball hoops are 10 feet in the air and I'm a child. So I love that. So what I did was I did what any little normal nerd kid who's an information sponge does when they see something that they they do something, get approval from older people and cool kids. And it seems like I might be good at it. I throw myself into it. I start reading. I go to the library, the branch, the local branch library, which is funny because I live right down the street from it now. And of course, it's closed because quarantine day 56. And what I do is I get books on basketball. I get old books on basketball. I get newer books on basketball. I get books on basketball from the 40s and 50s, dusty ones, talking about uh, two hands uh, set shots, two hand passes, bounce passes, um, the proper rules of the game. My brother's looking at me. He's like, dude, you're not going to learn anything from that book. Like nobody even plays like this anymore. It's like it has like drawings of of Koozie, you know, it's crazy. It talks about Bob Pettit. I'm, I'm like, what's who's Bob Petit? I'm like, oh, goodness, kid. Look, this this book is from 1958. So I'm learning everything I can about basketball. My brother's like, use this book. You know, watch this, read this magazine. Because, again, my brother's friends, a lot of my brother's friends play basketball. My brother's one of my brother's best friends when he was in high school is a guy named Troy Brown. Troy Brown played for um, the Cooper Comets, which were uh, a local uh, like club team from the Cooper Center right there in Roxbury. Um, he also played for Boston Latin, Boston Latin School, and he was like the star player for the team. Uh, he was recruited by UConn. Uh, UConn ultimately didn't uh, recruit him and bring him in because he was 6'2 or 6'3. And he played like a center because he had like a 40-something inch vertical. And he never really developed the necessary guard skills to play guard in the Big East. So he ended up having to take an offer from St. Michael's in Vermont. And I remember like he was there. St. Michael's had recruited this seven foot two guy from from Nigeria but Troy had 20 rebounds in one game at 6-3, and that dude had like eight. It was crazy. But anyway, I fell in love with basketball. I threw myself into it. And the thing is that at that time, it was really dangerous to leave the house and go places because it was... This was even before the crack ever popped off. This was like in the early 80s. So if I was going to go to the court, I had to go with my big brother. So I had to come, had to have a time where my big brother took me to the court. My big brother took me to the court for the first time because I kept begging him and begging him because I wanted to play basketball. I was like, you want to play basketball? Fine. I'm seven years old. It's 1982. He takes me to the court. He throws me the ball. It's like, here. 
It goes in. He looks at me. He's like, what? Try that again. It goes in. He moved to the side. Next time he throws it to me, bong, off the back. He's like, all right, now do this with your hand. I do it. It goes straight in. I'm like, yo, this kid can shoot. And the thing is that when you're seven years old, it's hard to shoot on a 10-foot hoop. But my brother's like, oh, shit. But the thing is that I, for some odd reason, at a young age, didn't realize that the people I saw playing basketball on TV played all the time and practiced all the time. I thought it was just there was something they were good at, so they went out and did it. Because, again, I grew up with this um, memory gift and all this other stuff. So I memorized damn near everything. If you told me something once or twice, it stuck with me. So I, at that young age, didn't realize that the people that I played against or the people that I saw on TV practiced nonstop. I also didn't realize that me, okay, I didn't understand how things worked. So I didn't get that. The Okay, so let me, perfect example. I read a lot, right? I read a lot. And I didn't realize that the more I read, the easier and better I got at reading. I thought I started reading because I found it easy and I could catch on easy. Perfect example. One of the ways I learned to read, well, I I knew how to read. But one of the ways I learned to read better was out of necessity. So when you're, at the time, the youngest in the family... And you want to read over your big brother's shoulder or your big sister's shoulder. And your big sister is reading right on. And she's sick of you reading over her shoulder. What she does is she lays it on the bed. And she reads it from this side. And you have to read from the other side of the bed. Meaning it's upside down. So I'm reading upside down. And I do this with my brother. When he's reading his Marvel comics and his friends when they read their Marvel comics. Are you done? Yeah. Flip the page. So I'm having to learn how to read upside down and quick because they're not going to like wait for me. I didn't realize that this was me training. And then I'm like, yo, what else can I do? Because I'm good at that. And people are marveling at it. And when people that that uh, positive attention, you know, that encouragement. Oh, shit. Let's see what else I could do. So I took the book. And I took it to the mirror and I'm looking at the book in the mirror and I'm like, wait, I can make out these words and I can read these words. So when I started reading stuff in the mirror, they're like, yo, that's crazy. And I'm a kid. I'm six, seven. Well, five, six, seven. And so I'm like, yo, what else can I read? So we had a big wrought iron bookcase. Again, I think I mentioned this before. My mom, back in the days in Boston after busing, a lot of school shut down. So people used to take school books and just put them on the sidewalk. And my mom would just find somebody to help her bring home books. So the bookshelf was full of books from uh, elementary school, junior high schools, and high schools. So I would just read everything there until I got to a point. And then there's a point of comprehension. What's this word? I don't know. Go look it up. My mother had these things called the World Warriors Book of Encyclopedia. So I have to go look up the word and figure out what the word meant. 
And then I had to ask somebody how it was pronounced. And again, my older brother's six years older than me, older sister's eight years older than me. And so, and then my brother ends up going to Latin school. My older sister again goes to Latin school. So they're in advanced classes from fourth grade on. So I want to do everything they do. But back to basketball, I don't understand that all the stuff I'm doing is practice. And it's making me better. And I'm honing a skill. I'm thinking it's just natural. Right? So when I played against kids when I was seven, eight, nine, I was mostly in the house, you know, hanging out with my brother, uh, watching basketball games, watching TV, watching the Bruins on WSBK, watching cartoons, uh, drawing stuff that I saw on Force 5 or the uh, um, uh, 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 Speed Racer or Battlestar Galactica, what have you. Again, I watched whatever my older brother watched or my cousins watched, my cousin Baron uh, or his friends, including New Edition. So I didn't realize for the longest that I was playing against kids who were not only older than me, but who are outside all the time and always playing ball. So when I blocked a shot of theirs or I scored on them or I grabbed a rebound over them because I could jump too, apparently. Yay. So I had all this natural ability. But the thing was that I didn't realize that I didn't practice. At least not like these kids did. I didn't take the ball to the court and just like work on my game until later. So anyway, I get to sixth grade. I jumped ahead. I jump ahead to so elementary school. I'm I'm pretty good. But, you know, there's no teams for me to play on or whatever. And the thing that happened in elementary school would be that uh, in fourth and fifth grade, I went to the Quincy. And the Quincy, the thing would happen was kids from the Burke, the Jeremiah E. Burke school would always come and they would play basketball with us. They would get little groups of kids and then have them play against each other. And like, all right, my team's going to kill your team. My team's going to kill your team. And in fourth and fifth grade. I was always the star of this little showcase. My mom was friends with uh, Cedric Maxwell, and he used to do like these little mini basketball camps with the kids. And I, my mom would bring me there and I would kill all the little kids there. Again, I was the tallest one. I was the w- one of the few kids that could actually shoot. You know, I could rebound the ball. I could block shots, you know, but I wasn't good at dribbling. But I didn't think I had to be. All I had to do was get the ball and shoot it. You're getting what I'm you're getting at what I'm what I'm talking about, right? So we get to sixth grade. Sixth grade is in the heart, it's 1986-87. Boston is super dangerous. We're deep in the crack era. Another reason contributing to why I don't necessarily go to the court that much unless it's with my brother and his friends. I don't hang out because, you know, my family would like for me to live. And I live in the South End, Lower Roxbury, which is, uh, suffice it to say, I don't have a better term, the bottom bitch of the um, the crack uh, neighborhoods infested with crack. So all up and down Mass Ave at the time and on the side streets were just houses, crack houses. 
And there were just fiends everywhere, right? I'm going into Roxbury. So it was super dangerous. And at that time, I was going to the Quincy School. I mean, the Quincy. I left the Quincy, graduated from the Quincy, and went to the Timothy. The J.P. Timothy is on Roxbury Street, near at the time, Dudley Square, loaded with thugs. You would have to walk through this place called Madison Park Village, or MPV as we called it. And we used to call, I used to call my walk to school the Death March because I had to pass a whole bunch of the most notorious neighborhoods and housing developments on my way there. I had to go past Lenox. I had to go past Hammond Street where we had friends and family. Thank God. We had to go past, um, we had to go past Roxy Homes. Then we had to go past Whittier Street Housing. And then the rest of, um, Madison Park Village. Then I would cut through uh, Madison Park's uh, field where they, uh, the track and field field. Then I have to go up the steps and I would cut through the school. And if there were any hard rocks hanging out, it had to pretend like I wasn't scared. Then I'd cross the street and there used to be, now there's stairs. There was this rock path that you had to climb up through. And then you would come out through these trees. It was almost like escaping slavery. You come up to this, this path of trees, this narrow path of trees. You're just walking through them. And then you come out. The sun hits you. And all of a sudden, you're right there on Roxbury Street. And, uh, and, and, and um, the school's on the side. And next to it is this old boarded up house that was there from the 1800s. And it had nothing but attack dogs barking at you as you walked by. It was all fenced up. And when we played a game or something, a kickball went over there or something over there. It was like, eh, we're never going to see that again. Now I go over there and that house has been completely restored. And it's a, it's a, uh, it's on the uh, national preserved list or whatever. Everything's beautiful over there, but you know, it's still the hood. But it's gorgeous over there now. But back in the days, shit was run down and terrifying. I say that because this is where I learned I wasn't that good at basketball. I'm going to school with cats that wear nothing but Adidas, got the gold chains at the time. The thing was you had stopwatches, you know, people had overalls. You had your overalls, overalls were slung down, you know, or you had one snap up. You know, everybody's just got the Coca-Cola gear. Cats got mustaches. And I'm just like, it's a complete culture shock for me, even though I went to the Quincy and the Quincy was right next to the combat zone. You know, I saw stuff over there. But this is like a whole new world of thuggery. And basketball meant way more here. Because the Timothy, it was coached by a dude named Mr. McAfee, who my brother used to always tell me about had one of the best basketball teams in the city for junior high. And they were like a feeder to all the other schools. So some of the best players English had, some of the best players the Burke had, some of the best players Madison Park had, came from the Timothy. Now, again, I mentioned that I uh, advanced classes. So I was in advanced classes in the Quincy in fourth and fifth. That meant that I was going to in an advanced classes in the sixth grade at the Timothy. Now, the sixth, the advanced classes are kind of sequestered on the first floor away from everybody else. And it's like 
I feel I didn't realize it at the time because I went to a summer program before the before the school season, before the school year. But I didn't realize that until after the fact. And someone else told me how the school kind of told everybody else, hey, yo, don't mess with these kids. They're actually going somewhere and they're going to be somebody, you know, so don't fuck it all up for the rest of us and fuck with these kids. Now, imagine you go to play basketball and one of those kids, one of those golden kids ends up showing up at the court. You're going to murder them, aren't you? Yes. And also the difference being is that I didn't know how many different school programs or basketball programs were in existence in the South End, Roxbury at the time. Call me crazy. I didn't realize about the South End Squires, you know. I never played, I I went to a couple BNBL games, but I didn't realize how prolific the BNBL was or how like how tough it was to play. Those kids, when I was inside, those kids were out working, playing nonstop. So by the time I get to sixth grade, now the thing is too, in sixth grade, I, I mentioned this on Twitter. Sixth grade, I believe I was five three. In sixth grade. So I'm tall for a sixth grader. Got a mustache coming in and shit. But I have not been outside playing against these kids who play nonstop. So my game isn't developed like that. And also, I can't dribble because I never had to. One of the most important things about basketball is that when you play against somebody, uh, you... They, you have to fight, especially in Roxbury, especially in Dorchester, especially in the South End, to do everything. Get to the hole, get a clear shot, everything like that. So when I get a rebound and I'm about to go back up, everybody's on me. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck? I get the ball and I'm about to shoot and someone flies out the left with a chain, a herringbone chain. The herringbone chain hits me in the head. The ball goes flying. I'm like, oh, shit. And then someone's like, yo, motherfucker, why don't you do a pump fake? A pump fake? Oh, like Larry Bird does. I never had to pump fake. I get the ball, I just shoot the shit. I never even have to dribble to get space. So sixth grade, I'm like, yo, I don't want to be embarrassed like this anymore. My, my friend Berwin at the time was like, yo, you need to work on your game, man. So after school, and the thing is that at the Timothy, we got, they had this thing called Project Promise where you were in school longer. And it was a blessing because we were in school till 310. So it gave us enough time for all the high school kids and all the thugs to be gone from the area and be back at MPV, you know, trying to holler at girls and, and trying to uh, park their cars someplace where they had no place to park and they were 16 and they had cars because of drug money. But you know, neither here nor there. And they were not around. So 310, I end up, you know, we'd go, go near the home, but there was a basketball court, a free court nobody liked playing on because the court was cracked up and it was dilapidated, but no one liked to play there. So it gave the younger kids an opportunity to work on their games. And dribbling was super hard because, again, there's cracks and raises in this um, asphalt everywhere like there was a damn earthquake but you had to dribble and the thing is that your kids friends would press you would press you and it's like all right now you got to learn to dribble now another thing about me is that 
It took me years to learn to dribble without looking down. I would dribble looking down. So I get through somebody and then I look up at the hoop. And they were like, how in the fuck did you play like that? And then for some odd reason, I kept growing and my coordination didn't work. So it was, I was 14, 15 before I could like go between my legs and behind my back fluidly. Like my body could catch up to my, my hands and eye coordination could catch up to my body. And it was weird because around 15, 16, like my height started, you know, stopping, you know, and stuff like that, slowing down somewhat. So by the time I was 16, I was six feet tall. So between the ages, between like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, I start getting more and more, you know, comfortable with what I'm doing because I'm going out more. I'm playing more. You know, I'm facing competition more. But now I'm in Boston Latin. I'm in the eighth grade. I spent several years in eighth grade, but. I'm like, hey, I'm going to play. I'm going to go out for the team this year because I played a gym with a lot of these kids and I'm killing them. I'm murdering them. All right. Now, let's back up. Seventh grade year, Boston Latin. Six a year. It's 87, 88. I come into class. I'm in homeroom. There's a kid in my class, short, has these conductor high Adidas, the orange and blue joints, the Knicks joints, the Patrick Ewing joints, the ones from the poster that I always wanted. I would beg my brother for, and he was like, I ain't buying you those sneakers, man. So he would get me the Reeboks or Nikes. If I did, I hated Nike, but I would get Nikes that looked most like the Adidas I wanted if they were there. He would bring me to this place called Crystals all the time. Neither here nor there. The kid name, the kid's name, they call him Eggy. His big sister Sheila is friends with my brother. Everybody knew that Eggy was the guy. He was the best point guard around. And Latin was kind of like, yo, this is going to be our point guard of the future. Now, me, I couldn't play point guard because at the time I still wasn't nice at dribbling. I couldn't really handle the ball, but I could shoot. I could rebound. I could for some since I was often the tallest kid on the court when I played when I was young, I was doing post moves. So I'm doing Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish shit down on the low block. And then like I can shoot from outside. All right. So that's a weird combination to have. And I could jump. So it was a weird combination to have. But, you know, I could mask my my deficiencies on the court because some I kept getting the ball and I kept scoring. That was my I, I, I didn't understand. Right. So. Eggy is in my homeroom. My name's a I sit in the front. His name's McCray M. He sits further back. But. Our brother, my his sister and my brother, are like, yo, you know, this is um Eggy, this y'all should hang or whatever. Luckily, me and Eggy have the same gym. So Jim had seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders. Now this is gonna be kind of culturally insensitive, but this shit happened. Again, it's 1987, 88. 
and Jim, everything separated, not necessarily by, uh, by grade or age, but by um, talent level. So you had two courts. One court was was deemed the MBA and the other court was deemed the CBA. NBA stood for. Imagine what it stood for. And CBA stood for either Cracker or Chinese Basketball Association because all the white kids and the Chinese kids would play on this court. But the NBA. So, okay, to explain the full court. That went lengthwise. That was our court. The NBA's court. We played full court games. The CBA played on a hoop that was on the side. So they played half court games. Where you would have to clear the ball. They didn't really clear the ball though. You could go back up if we played. But half court if we were forced to. But white kids would always say clear the ball. And we were just like what? Charlestown, so we called that Charlestown rules, clear the ball. Roxbury rules, we called it, you just go back up. And you just had to deal with the harm of someone trying to hack you again. So we played in this NBA playing full court. So it's me and Eggy, shortest kids, youngest kids. So Eggy is the point guard. He gets everybody the ball. And I'm shooting guard. But Eggy's masking all my deficiencies because he can handle the rock. He can find people, do the stuff. So he draws, penetrates, kicks, throws me the ball. Someone misses a layup. I jump out of nowhere, tip it back in. You know, somebody goes up for a shot. Bob, I come over the top and block it. I could block with my right and my left hand. Everybody's like, ooh. So it got to be a point where for months, me and Eggy... We're dominating Jim, dominating Jim. Like, you know, people just be like high fiving us in the fucking lunchroom. It's like, damn, y'all, y'all killing shit. One day, Eggie's out sick. So we get to Jim. I'm not thinking anything of it. All right. All right, y'all, let's run. And there was this kid with glasses who always wore gray sweatpants and looked at me like I was the worst thing that ever happened in the history of history. He hated me. I mean, he hated me. So since Eggie's not point guard, hey, yo, little man, won't you run point? I'm like, yeah, okay. That ain't go well. That did not go well. I was embarrassed. I can't dribble looking up. So I'm dribbling the ball, looking down the court. He comes up, snatches the ball, does, does a layup. Look up. I get the ball back. I dribble the ball. I look up. I dribble it right off my sneaker, my left sneaker. It rolls out of bounds. Turnover. They give me the ball again. I run up court looking straight up. Someone picks me from behind because I don't see them. And they take it. They pass the ball the length of the court. Kid gets a layup. Yo, 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 yo. What the fuck? What the fuck? What are you doing? What are you doing right now? I have kids from all over Boston. 
Dorchester, Mattapan, South End, Roxbury, maybe a motherfucker from, from Brookline yelling at me. Brown kids just yelling at me because I'm not able to play point guard or just do something basic like dribble the ball. And then finally, kid with glasses just throws the ball. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. I hate him that much. He throws. He, he was. He was. And the thing is that he was in. A, um. He was in a study with me that year too. So he just throws me the ball. It's like, hey yo, get past me. So I'm dribbling the ball. Dribbling the ball, trying to get past him. He's just, just, just taking, just taking, snatching the ball, snatching the ball from me. It's like you can't fucking handle the ball. It's like, see, 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 see. I told y'all. The reason y'all ain't know he sucked is because Eggy was Eggy was was protecting him. He get the ball, he know how to shoot, he could get a rebound, he could block some shots, but this motherfucker can't play for shit. Echo, shit, 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 shit. Bird flying out of trees. Everybody on the other courts turns around like Prince at the end of fucking purple rain with the lights shining off his head. I'm embarrassed. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm sweating like a fat white man who just said the N-word in a black church and everybody stopped clapping and heard it. Um, I'm like, fuck. So I get demoted to the CBA. Eggy comes back and they're running without me. So I'm playing on the side. I'm killing these kids. I'm fucking murdering them. Like, I'm like Thanos versus shield agents i'm murdering them and like the joke was that yo i saw you on the side killing the cba fan i saw you on the side you were murdering the cba still can't dribble so towards the end of the school year that seventh grade school year i got back in the nba now needless to say eggy didn't last in latin past six a year he ended up, I believe he transferred to Mission. The Mission for the next year. So Boston Latin never got their point guard of the future. Um, and I was not the point guard of the future. Fast forward back to me playing organized basketball. So the first day of practice for the basketball team happens. I don't even go. I don't even go. I don't need to. All the guys that I know that made the team last year and are leading guys for the team last year, I bust their ass in gym. I bust their ass at the courts at the fins. And the ones in the neighborhood, I bust their ass when we play in the neighborhood. At Sparrow Park, I kill them. Derby Park, kill them. The Blackstone Gym, kill them. The court outside the Blackstone, murder. Death, kill. Body, the Nito, Muerto. So I go to practice. Now, here's the thing. My big brother, Dave, again, was best friends with um, Troy Brown, who was all world at Boston Latin School, was friends with the other guys on the team, which was Juan Figueroa, uh, Ed Burley Jr., son of Ed Burley, a legendary coach of uh, Boston English High. We'll get to that. And, you know, Couple other guys. This dude, um, uh, Ichekwu. His name was Ichekwu. I can't remember his last. Chinadu. I think it was Ichekwu Chinadu. 
and his younger brother's name was Uchenna. So he was he was Ike or Ichabod, and his younger brother, we called him Uch. And they both were point guards. And they played all the time. They played every tournament you could imagine. Um, and I ended up going out to play. This, and so anyway, the point I mentioned my brothers because my brothers like yo, I'll come down to I'll come down because I know the coaches. Of course you know the coaches, motherfucker. My brother had a, a Boston Latin basketball jacket, purple jacket, and he had also the matching um royal purple Reeboks because somebody who worked at Reebok was a Boston Latin alum and ended up getting them their own custom royal purple Reeboks. The thing is that the men's team was usually uh, 500, but the girls team was fucking one of the best in the um, state. And they were led by a dude named Benny Myers. Benny Myers, also the history teacher, one of my favorite teachers. He hated me my last year at Latin because I was a disciplinary problem. That's neither here nor there. Now, um, black guy. So that being the case, I go to practice the second day like this shit is a formality, fam. My brother's on the sidelines looking with the coach, like talking to the coach, like, yeah, that's my brother. So he's like, hey, new guys. And he, like he said, new guys almost like, why the fuck are there new guys? Like, all right, line up. So he's like, let's run some drills. Run drills, run drills, run drills. I'm tired of shit. Running these drills, running these drills. Like, I thought we were just gonna play. Run drills, run drills. All right. That warm-up was good. All right, now here's what we're going to do. Take the ball top of the key. Come in here. Do this, do this. You hit the post. You hit him. You see the man um, curl. Hit him. All right, got that. You got that? What? What the fuck? What? All right, triangle in two. We're going to do this, 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 this. You come here. You come here. You catch in the post. All right, all right. I catch in the post. I go to score. It's like, all right, now the next time. I'm like, what the fuck? What are we doing? That's how we're going to play ball. All right, next thing. We're going to do this, 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 this. See how quick you get to the ball. This is the ball's loose. Dive on it. And then we're doing all this shit. And I'm sweating my ass off. And I'm like, when the fuck are we going to play? All right, dribble the ball with the left hand. Switch to the right hand. I'm terrible with all these drills. And I'm looking over and I'm like, yo, I'm not making this fucking team, am I? Can we get to the game? So finally, he's like, all right, now we're going to break off. We're going to do scrimmages. Thank God. But I'm already winded. If we st- did this from the jump, I'd be on the team. I knew it. I'd killing everybody. So it's like, all right, teams, you, 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 Adams, da-da, get on get on here. You guys, da-da-da, Roger, get on here. So it's like, oh, they're going to have me play Roger. Roger was a kid. Who was almost my height, taller than me with his high top fade. Um, and I used to murder Roger when we played in gym. People just used to roll their eyes when they saw me get on Roger in gym. Mind you, when I played Roger in gym, we were both fresh. We both changed into our shorts. And then we went out to the gym and then Coach Costello said, all right, you guys play ball. Go ahead. And then I would fucking kill Roger. Roger's in way better shape than I am because Roger plays organized basketball. Me, I holler at Dominican and Puerto Rican girls and Cape Verdean girls, go home, fake like I'm doing homework, play play, play uh, Nintendo with my brother 
and then fucking listen to rap tapes all day, record Rap City, and then I fucking come to school the next day and then play in gym. That motherfucker's running up and down the court doing wind sprints. I'm not in shape. So, get on, Roger. Get the ball. I fake Roger up. Just lay it up. Give me the ball again. Roger, I spin on Roger. What up? Score again. I get the ball again. Bam. I turn around. I up fake. Roger goes for it. I go to the other side of the hoop. Take it off the glass. Kill Roger. All right, cool. Give the ball to Roger. Roger does a fucking left-handed hook. Kills me. Does some up and under shit that he learned from camp. Kills me. Does some shit where he catches the ball. Uh, does some fucking triple threat shit. Step back. Fakes up. And then he then he hits, then he kills me. Because he passes the ball to somebody else or some shit. Who cuts to the fucking hoop or some shit. Either way, what I'm telling you is that. Roger is doing stuff that he learned. From playing years of organized basketball. And I'm just doing shit that I know I can do because I'm good. Using air quotes. So then we go to another drill. Defensive drill. This lanky white kid is in front of me. Named Ralph. Ralph's fucking trash. Alright? Ralph's fucking trash. I'm going to preface that. Ralph is trash. Trash Ralph. That's what we call him. Trash Ralph. And so Ralph gets the ball in the post. Ralph tries to score. Wah, swat that shit. Ball comes into Ralph again. Wah, swat that shit. Mind you, my brother is off to the side with the coach. They throw the ball into Ralph again. Wah, swat it. I throw, that sh- I throw that shit again. I throw Ralph's shot six times in a row. I'll never forget this. I'm looking at my brother like, this shit is easy. So then the coach stops the game and says, Ralphie. Slow and steady until it goes in. Work everything we've taught. We taught you to get day one. Whistle blows, throws the ball into Ralph. Ralphie turns into motherfucking Kevin McHale, man of a thousand moves. He does some fucking post spin shit, pivot foot, inside out shit. And then he up and unders me and fucking lays it in. And the whole fucking gym goes nuts. And everybody fucking runs to Ralphie and hugs Ralphie like he's a fucking hero when I swatted his shot seven times. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? And then it hit me. I was there strictly for Ralphie to learn. I'm not even being considered for this goddamn team. I'm like, I have no shot of making this team. And so, you know, the rest of the scrimmage goes on. I score like, I score mad points. I put up mad points, but like, I have to take myself out because I'm tired. And my side hurts and I have to drink mad water. And my brother comes out to me. He was like, you thought this shit was going to be easy, didn't you? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you, you kill these kids in gym, don't you? Yeah. When you play them in the street, you kill them, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, but this is organized basketball. 
and they're looking for the kid that's coachable. They're looking for the kid that wants to be here, that wants to learn, that wants to improve. And you, you came to practice on the second fucking day because you thought you had the shit in the bag. And the shit that you were doing during the drills just showed that one, you've never done drills before. Two, you didn't want to do the drills. And you were so happy to play the game that you didn't realize that you were not playing team basketball. And what basketball coach who coaches a team wants the guy who's the individual? Because that's all you look like out there. And it's funny because that was the polar opposite of the kind of player I wanted to be. But it's like, yo, coach told me that even if you were Troy, he wasn't going to um, he wasn't going to add you to the team this year. And I'm just like, fuck. And that changed my entire perspective and thinking about basketball in the game. I started practicing. I started fucking working out. I started watching TV and studying how people dribbled. I would practice with the ball dribbling. I was sick of not being able to create space. I would watch fucking instructional videos. I would listen to people who played a lot, explain, explain different things of the game. Um, I would go to the court, me and my younger brother would go to the court and I'd use him and I'd try to like do all these drills and shit. I uh, found another court to play at, it's called Ringgold Park Underground, no longer exists, which was the court of my um, brother's friend, um, Troy, back when he was, um, he lived around the neighborhood, he, that's the first time I was ever brought there. And I would work on my game myself. And then by the time we get to the 90s, I'm actually good. I can dribble looking up. I can cross people over. And also, that's when the proliferation of basketball changed on, you know, television. And, and you know, we got the UNLVs and the UNCs, Syracuse, you know, Big East, ACC basketball. Boston's basketball is really big now with high school. Um, you know, we have a bunch of players in the 90s actually going to the McDonald's All-American game. BBC is... B-A-B-C is like the big uh, t- uh, AAU team killing everybody. Uh, I was going to the BNB. It was I was older, so I was able to go to BNBL games and watch some of the best kids play. I'm going to different gyms with my basketball playing friends. I'm playing against them. They're better than me. I'm getting better. So my whole attitude about basketball changed after that day. Of me being embarrassed, thinking that I was better than kids that actually worked. Because my attitude was, things come easy to me. And I don't realize that there's someone else working their ass off. Even though I grew up watching fucking Larry Bird, who's the human embodiment of fucking working your ass off. And optimizing your skill level versus people that might be more talented than you. I never wanted to get outworked. I never cared about anything else more than my team winning going forward. And I ended up the guy who stayed on the basketball court because I did whatever was necessary to win. I could be on the team that lost. And the motherfuckers that want to be like, yo, you run with us next game. John need to sit. I would stay on the court all fucking day. And I, it also turned into a life lesson for me. 
where I'm somebody who's not who's working, learning, trying to improve constantly. All because I grew up as a kid who shit came too easily and I spent a lot of years floundering. Flashback to those years that I spent at Boston Latin School getting kept back multiple times because I was in shock that as smart as I am, as capable as I am, and everybody told me I was special, that here I come to the school full of special kids and I'm fucking failing. This shit is, these kids aren't smarter than me. I'm smarter than a lot of the kids in the class. But I didn't realize that we're playing by different rules. If you don't do your homework, we're going to take off either half a point, a third a point, or a full point for your final grade. Okay? Think about that. When I was young, I would go to Boston Latin School. I would be in a, a perfect example. I'm going to end with this. I'd be in an um, a algebra class. Or 7th, 8th grade, pre-algebra, algebra 1. My teacher tells me, for every homework you miss, I'm taking off half a point from your grade. Every semester is like 20-something, 30-something days, right? So we have 20-something, 30-something, 25, 30 homework assignments. If I don't do homework, for if I don't do homework... Pretty much the whole fucking year. That takes off 12, 13, 15 points for my final grade. Let's say I get a 72. And I'm not bringing my book home. This is just for me being in class and just absorbing stuff. My average is 72. My teacher comes up to me and is like, um, Steve, that's my name. You, your final grade was 72. You didn't do 27 homework assignments. So I have to take this 72 and subtract 13.5 from it. That leaves you with a 58.5. That's an F. If you had just done three of the homework assignments, you would have gotten a D. Now, to most people, that's like, fuck, I got to start doing some homework. To me, that was like, I got a C in this motherfucking class and I don't even bring my book home. And I barely pay attention. I'm writing love notes to Clotilde Miranda in this bitch. Go to another class. Steve, your grade in this class was an 81. I don't even fucking study. I don't even try. I just sit in class and just like learn on the fly. But you didn't do any of these homework assignments. I gave you 28 homework assignments. I take off a third point for every assignment. So that drops you down to a C plus. You could have had a B minus. I don't give a fuck. Now that same mindset is the same mindset that I was using for my life. So when I got kept back every year, and the thing is that with me, I memorized everything. So by my third year in the eighth grade, I had memorized every book, memorized every test answer, everything. So I got A's across the board. 
I won the Fidelity Prize. I go to the ninth grade. And then it all repeats. So by the time I got to 10th grade at English High, I had a new appreciation for actually learning, working, uh, appreciating everything. And it's funny because I started to retain all the stuff that I had learned back at Boston Latin School. So as I'm growing in English, by the time I graduated from there, I'm on a whole nother level when I get to college. And college just seemed way easier than high school was. And I relate a lot of that to what I learned and the life lessons I learned from basketball. I can't believe this episode ran so long. Well, anyways, one.